0: Good morning, and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural Program with African Sisters Media Network, and we're going to be sharing archived shows for all of July. However, I wanted to uh, pour libations for a few of our ancestors from the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, whom who have birthdays. Um, this month or, um, yeah, I have birthdays this month. And one of the persons I wanted to mention is, uh, Sister Makenya Sebeko Kuate, whose birthday was July 1st. She was born, uh, July 1st, 1926, and she made her transition February 4th, 2017. And a few friends, uh, of hers and I met up at Evergreen uh, cemetery in Oakland to pour libations for her and to uh to remember her, uh sister McKenna, Queen Mother McKenna is the uh is the uh, she is the person who um who instituted the uh the community Kwanzaa and and actually um Introduced traditional community Kwanzaa celebrations in the United States, Europe, Africa, and Mexico, and uh, so we we call her the Queen Mother of Kwanzaa. Uh, she was actually given that 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 uh, title December 2015, and um, and she was also um, recognized by the Harambe Connection Media Network in February 2017. So that was really, really beautiful. And then I was thinking about some other folks, and I hadn't even realized that uh, Dr. Lodge Daly uh, was born today, July 2nd, um, 1946. And uh, I met, I don't know, I think I met Dr. Daly's, uh, I, I met him before I, I met him. <laughs> um yeah, I actually I I met his daughter and later <laughs> learned about his wife, but I think I learned about his wife after he was an ancestor. And uh he was really known for the family was really known for giving these really fantastic uh family Kwanzaas here in Alameda. And um yeah, I just wanted to say ashe to Dr. Daly. I knew him as a poet and uh and as a colleague at Contra Costa College and yeah he was a really really wonderful man and um yeah I I uh, I knew his daughter Daphina, and uh he survived by many many wonderful people but today is his birthday so happy birthday to you uh Dr. Daly and um another person um who I'm going to share something I wrote with you um whose whose birthday uh is um July 4th um is um Marty Payne. Marty Payne. Oh my goodness, what a beautiful man. Um, yeah, Marty um uh the musician uh really really wonderful father and uh and uh, and uh, he he was born <laughs> July 4th, and, and would throw these fantastic parties. I mean, like really, really, really wonderful parties. And uh, and his dear wife um, Taisha um, Moreau is uh, is one of and he's got sons and grandchildren. He's survived by a whole lot of great folks because people called him Citizen. So anyway, I share to Marty, whose birthday um, is a holiday, July 4th. And then, um, again, I want to talk today about my friend, uh, Genevieve um, Bayan, and I wrote a piece in the uh, San Francisco Bayview newspaper that I want to share with you. And we're going to end with um, a piece uh, pre-recorded, and it's called um, No Freedom, and I'm not quite certain, um what's on that particular link <laughs> that I'm looking at. But I, I know it, it has to be good if, if the title is No Freedom and Dante Clark has a book called No Freedom. K N O W, No Freedom, like to No Freedom. And uh yeah, and it's more than a holiday, that's for sure. And yeah, freedom is a responsibility. So, um, this piece is called I wrote it October 29, 2013, and it's called Bayan Means Make It Plain or Clear Evidence. If you want to look at the picture I have of uh, Genevieve in this this, uh, this uh, reflection. The weekend my big sister passed, I found out last Monday, September thirtieth, 2013, that she was in the hospital, San Francisco General Hospital with lung cancer. She'd been going into emergency for chest pain and problems breathing, but they treated the symptoms and didn't know the spots until recently when they kept her. I didn't know it was as serious as it was, so imagine my surprise when I get a text, two texts, that she is gone. Genevieve Bayan, my big sister, gone. She and I are both summer children, her birthday July 4th. She made 60 this year. Last night I went to the waterway where we washed her body. From New Orleans, there was a second line at Yerba Buena Gardens, which I joined in on at the finale down Congo Line by Dimensions Dance Theater. One of my favorite teachers and former principals joined me at the concert and performance. When the dancers came on stage in white, I knew this was for all those who'd gone before, the named and the nameless. Candles flickered behind the drummers and dancers on the altar. I was in the right place. It was the right time. I could let her go here. The song, I'll Fly Away, lifted her soul, and she was gone. Dressed in my ceremonial white with red beaded earrings, Maasai, and a red beaded bracelet in the belly, and a red angel pin, Topsy Dolls, South Africa, and black purse, you know, I was, I was... I was like totally African diaspora looking. The red, white, and black are ancestor colors in the Yoruba tradition. This was my way of letting the world know, those who know, that someone special was no longer with us. I started to bring all white to Pacifica, That's where I was in school at that time. I'm now a student at Pacifica Graduate Institute near Santa Barbara. But I decided to honor Mama Yemenja and said, She can hold the grief, her largesse, the ocean, Pacific, Atlanta, Indian. A friend asked, why not the African Ocean? I didn't have an answer, but the question certainly made a lot of sense. Yes, I am a pan-African blend of what works for me in any given moment. So instead of sleeping, I was honoring Genevieve because she will be in the ground before I return. I am here, so I will not be able to participate in her ceremonial washing, with special herbs and scents and prayers and women's stories. Women's stories. I met Jenny at 10 or 11. However, it wasn't until I was a preteen that she allowed me to hang out with her and her friends, all older than me. I remember how she put her hands over my ears when she didn't want me to hear something. I just held my counsel and was rewarded and continued with continued privileges. She was the only one I knew. Who took me under her wing and let me hang with her? Motherless, I guess she knew what I needed, and she shared her mother with me too. Many a day I was at Jenny's house, kicked back on her patio, her mom in a parlor, or a den, or kitchen. Their house was a walking distance from Golden Gate Park. Was walking distance from Golden Gate Park. I was sorry to hear that Jenny lost the house to taxes. She had had a stroke and ended up walking with a cane afterward. The stroke affected her memory and cognitive functioning. But she was still Jenny, my big sister, who encouraged me to publish and pursue higher education and be a fierce warrior for justice. I recall stories of resistance at Galileo High School in San Francisco, where she and her posse demanded black studies in their school district. She would smile when reflecting on her Black Panther days. I don't think she was a member. So just, she was just cool with the revolutionaries like that. She told me about how Alice Lam saved her life. I wish I could remember more of the details, but like I used to think my mother's name was Mama, Jenny was my sister, not a subject for a story, not an artifact for a study. She was my sister, and that was a feeling, not a tangible object. She had me accompany her to New Medina, a community of American Muslims in Mississippi founded by Imam Warthi Muhammad, where she purchased land just outside of Hattiesburg. The last time we were together, it was at a Sweet Honey concert at Zellerbach, and Alice Walker was in the, in the audience. We were with recently released Women Prisoners and got to go backstage. In all the excitement, I forgot to tell Jenny where we were going, and I didn't hear my phone ringing. Yep, she was mad at me for months. Nothing I could say would get her to speak to me. We were going to go by Cafe Gratitude for a bite before heading home. I hate those loose ends. Death will not allow one to tie or knot or cut. Big sisters forgive their younger sisters, I know. But I have a little sister and younger brother and two daughters and two grandchildren. Now I have five. And many nieces and nephews. If there was no forgiveness in the world, our capacity as human beings would be diminished. So I paid forward and asked another dear friend who left the rehabilitation center the day Jenny died if I can run an errand for him until he gets back on his feet, well, really his seat. He is paralyzed. I saw Brother Collett at Jenny's funeral. He looked well. The funeral home was full of believers who wanted to ensure her ascension. I hadn't known any of her family except her mother, Mrs. Kathleen Munson. A friend of mine said Jenny's mom was her kindergarten teacher. (laughs) Small world. Funny how life comes full circle at times like this. Sister Naima and I were riding with Sister Nisa to the cemetery at Half Moon Bay where Jenny was laid to rest next to her mother. Muslim funerals are really fast, as in if you blink, you could miss it. Kamisha Fatima walked into the prayer that Friday morning at the funeral home with only a few beers or Allahu Akbar's left. I met many of Jenny's extended family, cousins from Houston and Las Vegas, Berkeley and Livermore, as some of us prepared to drive to the cemetery. On the lovely drive there, we reminisced about Jenny, and later as we stood on the hill, her body lo- was lowered into the hole, a mountain of soil nearby. People began grabbing a handful of dirt to throw on the carton that held her. I wasn't sure if I was going to participate. This part of the ceremony is so final. Was she really gone? Was I never going to hear her chuckle or conspiratorial laugh as she prepared to tell me to do something? (laughs) Let's see, where am I? Uh let's see where am I? I kinda like didn't put this together right. Uh, at the ceremonial washing Wednesday two days earlier, the sister said that she looked so peaceful and serene. I'd missed the temporal goodbye. So I was just consoled. I was consoled with an opportunity to read the juice read a juice or thirtieth of the Quran. The practice is to read the complete book before the person's janazah or funeral prayer. I chose the 18th section, which included some of my favorite surahs or chapters and ayats or verses. Chapter 23, Al-Mu'minun, the believers. Chapter 24, An-Nur or the light. Chapter 25, al Khan the discrimination. All fitting, I thought, for a woman whose chosen name meant she had no doubts. Confirmed when I heard that her final words to Amina Ali, her executor, executor, sorry, (laughs) executor, (laughs) executor, were that she was ready and had no fear. So as I finished reading the juice, I saluted her and wished her well in my heart. The day of the Ma'afa ritual 2013, Sunday, October 13, 2013, when I called her name, a sister standing nearby started crying. She had known Jenny had taken her last breath two weeks ago. I wonder why I hadn't heard from her when I called, she said. I know Jenny would want me to be here at Pacifica Graduate Institute. So I'm here, and so is she, since bodies have limits. However, the soul is, well, everything. I am, so, I am sad You're happy, ready, and prepared to adjust to this new path uh, at this institution. I'm interested in ancestral memory and the effects of trauma on memory, specifically the ancestral memories of the formerly enslaved. I'm also interested in the lives and well-being of today's legal slave population, American prisoners, both juveniles and adults, and I'm a member of California Coalition of Women Prisoners and Legal Services for Prisoners with Children board member. Last week, Friday, October twenty fifth, the sister to sister team visited women at Central California Women's Facility. We arrived late and left late. There are just three of us. There were just three of us, Hafsa Alameen, Sister Naima, Salah and I and me. We met each other with we met with three women. I met with two sisters I have been visiting for years and a new woman. I was not feeling well, and after the visit the next day, I could not get out of bed and have been sick since. One sister you have heard me speak of is Patricia Wright, who has terminal cancer. She is now out of the wheelchair, approved for a transfer to the women's prison in Southern California, CIW, where her children are. She wants to be near them since the governor doesn't seem to be in any hurry to release her. Then there is Georgia Horton, who started a program seven years ago, Girlfriend, What Happened? A course designed to ask women to look into their journey of life and to ask themselves, how have I arrived at the place I am now? What happened for me to get here? She has been supporting this program with her own resources, money earned from cleaning toilets, to help women deal with trauma and addiction. I hadn't realized until this week that when the CDCR, Center for Disease, California Department of Corrections and Patient March Rehabilitation, like, "Really? not, not <laughs> says that it approves a approved the program. There are no resources attached to the program. So the women who develop a women who develop these great programs at work, they have to um, volunteer or give their programs over to people who develop health health programs and sell them to CDCR. Then look for prisoners to fill the seats. It's not about rehabilitation. If it were, the programs developed from the inside out would be supported by the institution, which in its current structure can do nothing except allow the prisoners space and time. Georgia has refused to give her program away to interlopers, so I'm going to sponsor her and look for in-kind support from organizations that have similar missions like California Coalition for Women Prisoners, Legal Services for Prisons for Children, All of Us and None, Critical Resistance, Prison Focus, Justice Now, and others. Georgia needs stationary pencils and pens, journals for the women. Each session is six weeks, and she has about 120 women go through her program every 13 weeks. If anyone would like to sponsor this program, I give uh, the information for Georgia Horton. And since I wrote this, uh, how many years ago? 2013, so that was um, eight years ago this year. Georgia Horton has been released um, a number of years, and so has Patricia Wright. Patricia Wright was released um, last year. Um, Yeah, finally. And she is doing well. She still has um, I think cancer. I'm not sure if the cancer is in remission or not, but she is free and she is with her children and her grandchildren and her siblings um, and nieces and nephews and beloved family friends, etc. So those, that's good news here um, that I want to share with you. So happy birthday, Genevieve! Happy birthday, Doctor Daly! Happy birthday, Sister McKenna! Happy birthday, Marty Payne, Citizen! Ashe, Ashe, shay to your memory, and thank you so much for joining us uh, for Wanda's Picks. And we are going to play this. I don't, like I said, no freedom. Let's see what this is because I, I can't. I don't know. And it says that um, I um, broadcasted um, last year on July 5th. So let's see what let's see what this is all about. Good morning, and welcome to Wanda's Picks a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are so excited to have in the studio this morning a wonderful author and, gosh, um, motivational speaker and survivor, wonderful, awesome survivor, um, thank you so much, Regina Louise, for, for joining us to talk about your newest book, Someone Has Led This Child to Believe, and your film that's going to be released next year. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Oh, no problem, no problem. I'm so happy, you know, to to know about your work. Um, wow, your journey has, has really been uh really tremendous um in so far as you know what you've overcome, and as long as you could tell, tell our audience a little bit about um, your work, um, your your two books, um, but the more recent one, someone has led this child to believe.
1: Right. Well, someone, and originally, the books were meant to be a two part, you know, a, a two part book, but given what happened once somebody, someone was released, some of the occurrences that happened as a result of my writing that book, I was unable to deliver on the, the second version of that book. So it took me 16 years, to be exact, to, to recompose my sense of self to a place where I could actually write from wholeness and have an ability to reflect so my first book, I would say, is more like a confession. I remember the day that I escaped the people who were abusing me, and I remember in my first editing, I turn around and I say to the person, "I'm going to tell on you. One day, I'm going to tell." So I think that book is just that. This book, someone has let this child to believe, I, I, I become. My character, who is obviously the narrator because it's memoir, I become more understanding, more informed, and I take responsibility as well as met out what I believe is the the, the, the kind of forgiveness and compassion I'm able to give at this point. And, and I also reflect. I, I come at it with more of a adult-like reflective view, understanding my mother's plight, understanding my father's plight, understanding that I literally was raised by sharecroppers. So historically, generationally, realistically, these people had conditions heaped upon them that would not necessarily make them the best caretakers for me, at that time in my life, so I had to look at their circumstances and not just see myself from a from a victim perspective, but a more informed, a more robust perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, you um, you were brought up in the uh, the foster care system, and uh, at one point, you were. Um, a parent came for a potential parent came forward, uh, an adult that wanted to adopt you, and 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 was denied. I wanted you to talk about. You mentioned forgiveness, um, and uh, and I I hadn't realized that November was is it adoption uh, awareness month? Yes, yeah,
1: National Adoption Month.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I wish I wish um, I would have known, but next year. <laughs> I'll have you on in November as opposed to December, but it's never, um, I mean, it's always important to talk about our children who need families, particularly right. children that aren't, aren't babies and children that are black, because, you know, when you look at sort of, you know, sort of what's, what the market, market wants, and it's not black babies. And, and so our children, they stay in these, you know, these systems, and a lot of times the people that are taking care of them, don't love them too long. And so long as you could talk about about your experience in the foster care system and, and the adoption story, because it's, it's really sweet, you know, what, how it ended up. Mm.
2: Well,
1: I, I grew up in the Bay Area for a minute. My father, back in the 70s, worked for very White, and was becoming quite successful in his own right as an independent artist. Uh, his name was Tom Brock. And he, you know, he sort of like he found out about me when I was about 11, and he wasn't ready for it, but he tried. He, he had, you know, my vile my mother, who I lived with very, very, very briefly, sent me to live with him, but it just so happened to be that his album was was coming out around the same time and I try and put myself in his shoes as this beautiful African American man who has who's a prodigy in his own right and his album comes out with the sexiest, sultriest singer on the planet, other than maybe Teddy Pendergrass, right? Very white. So he's getting his moment that Lord knows he had to beg, fill and borrow to get. So I get it. Yet, he learns, out, learns about me, and here I am, this needy, you know, mini version of him, and he has no idea what to do with all that, and he has his wife and his little children and his Norwegian wife and his little children and their little children, so, you know, he, he wasn't quite ready for me, and I get it. I wasn't quite ready for him, so, and I was what... People were called precocious. I had a a fierce spirit of standing up for what I knew was right. And I knew that people didn't want me, and I knew there was something not right about that. So, you know, I tried not to take it too personally and just move on. You don't like me. You don't want to be around me. I don't want to be around you either. So my father, I came up with a business plan. I knew he didn't want me. I just said, I'll go stay with a friend. And why don't you pay the friend's mom to take care of me? That way you can go do what you want. And he agreed. But she stopped paying, and she wasn't having it. So all that churchiness and all that, you know, Jesus saved mentality, she had kind of went out the back door when his check stopped coming. And she took it out on me, and then I had to not let her take it out on me, and I had to escape her. She abused me pretty terribly, but I had to try and fight her back against all my morals, you know, of honor thy mother and my father. And I saw her as a surrogate so, and an adult, and I grew up in the South, so you don't hit, you know, they can do, they can nearly kill you, but you don't strike an elder. But anyway, I had to break one of my golden rules and stop her from breaking me. And I jumped from a two-story house, turned myself into the police department, They took me to the Martinez Children's Shelter. I had no idea. It was the day before my 13th birthday. I arrived in Martinez, and my life would forever be different. And there was a white woman there who, over time, you know, learned to care for me, and as a result, I fell in love with her, and I just wanted her to be my mom. All I wanted was for love. I didn't care what color she was. I didn't care about any of that. I wanted the attunement, the connecting, the blending. I wanted someone who had the means of spirit even just to listen to my dreams for five minutes and validate that what I wanted for myself was a possibility. And she did that. And I also want to note here that, In an effort to not throw my own mother under the bus, I think what I've had to learn over the years is I could not have accepted Jean's love, that's the name of the counselor who who I Mm -hmm. attached to. I could have never did her love if, in fact, I had not been loved first. So that's a testament to my own mother whom I don't believe I don't believe, I don't remember rather when she may have loved me. I don't remember any of that. Who taught me to tell time, tie my shoes, count? I don't remember any of that. But I do know that love is learned in a particular state. Love is learned state bound. It's state bound. And depending upon the state in which we learn to love is what shows up. It shows up in the patterns in which we learned it. So I can say, given that I believe that, that my mother loves me fiercely. And Mm -hmm. as a result, I was able to allow this woman to love me fiercely and I was able to attach fiercely. So when she wanted and her petition to adopt me was denied because I'm black and she's white, you can believe that that care was fierce, and my response to it was fierce, and so much so that it became the axis, that loss became the axis upon which I would would design my life around.
0: Hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's just really beautiful about just there had to be love for you to recognize love, um, Something you know, even if you don't, you can't articulate it. Um, you believe that it, you know, it, it existed. Um, and a friend of mine, she has a poem, and she talks about, uh, "I was created in love, and love is what I am." And I just love mm. to, to to hear her say that. Like it's it's her outgoing mm-hmm. message on her phone, uh, Sister Makita, right. and uh, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, right. It's so affirming. I mean- mm-hmm.
1: I can remember one day, I speak a lot, 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 I love it. I, you know, Mm -hmm. I was on stage one day and I I, I had a shift in my thinking and the shift was, wait a minute, my father didn't force himself upon my mother and then I am the result of a non-consensual relationship. That's not how I came to be, if nothing Mm -hmm. else. It's important for me to recognize the moment that I was conceived, that the circumstances were there was this beautiful athlete who saw this beautiful young girl, and they wanted one enough. So at the very least, when those two people made the decisions to consummate that attraction, I am the result of that. I am the result of two brilliant, brilliant people manifesting their brilliance in me. I've learned to reframe the narrative that would take me down the street. I was a product of a illegitimacy. I'm the product of a one-night. We could go on down that dark road, or Mm -hmm. I can really call it what it is and what it was, and what it was was that. And I am magnificent. I am a magnificent result of that. So I was born from magnificence,
3: You know. Mhm. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm just looking at you know the beautiful cover of your book. You know the flowers and the flower petals. It's just and you're really beautiful as well. Um, and and I just wanted to ask you. Um, if if maybe you could share something from your book uh, with, with the audience.
1: Oh, that's a nice thing to, yes, hold on. I'll share with you while I'm looking for what I want. I'll share with you one thing about what you said about the book cover, which is very interesting. The book cover, things I want to say and keep it real and, I can't keep it as real as I really want to, but I will say this, or I can say this. Unless you're Michelle Obama, Mm -hmm. black people's faces on the cover of their own memoirs apparently don't sell. And that's a heartbreaking thought. And -hmm. unless you're a celebrity and your platform is just built in from ground zero Apparently, you know focus groups have said that to put black people on the cover of their own books is to give the book sort of its death mark. and it, it breaks my heart to even say that, but I know that you know, and I imagine your audience knows you know the forces that 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 are historically rooted in You know, the the ignoring or the dispossessing or the marginalizing of the African American body, person, spirit. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind with that in mind, I think it's I would be remiss if I didn't note that because it's important for us to understand how people see us, think about us and you know, it's really important to to know these things. And I figure I want to be a pioneer in every way to help people see what it means to be black and how important it is to author ourselves, self-author ourselves, regardless of of how we're viewed through this hegemony perspective. So what that filler cover is a result of the designer reading a passage in my book Where I'm devastated I'm an adult at this point And I'm completely devastated As a result of something that happened And what I want to do Is go back To when I was a child And the only way I knew To deal with Or externalize my pain Was to hurt myself Because I grew up with people who said Shut the F up Before I give you something to cry for As if Whatever I was crying for wasn't enough for me to be crying for. So they wanted to trump the reasons and, you know, just complicate matters. So I learned to, to when, when you talk to a child that way, there's a chance that that child will internalize your own hate. So in a lot of ways, what my abuser did was set me up to swallow my own rage, swallow my own hate, and to internalize it. And to, to, to squelch, snub my voice, and basically just to become mute. So, when I had this incident, I was in my I was uh, thirty nine, almost forty, and 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 what I did is I I internalized the disappointment, I internalized the rejection, and what I wanted to do is to go back to what I would have done, as I said, when I was a little girl. I wanted to hurt myself. So hmm. what I say in the book is I wanted to push, my, I wanted to get my therapist that "Ask me, hey, Gina, I understand you had an experience, and how are you feeling? Because back then, because I had no adults, nobody to turn to, my therapist mm-hmm. would allow me If I have difficulties, just call and leave a message in her answering machine just so I'd have a way to get out verbally because, as you can tell by now, I'm quite the She wanted me to have a place to, to, to put my feelings. So anyway, she had checked her messages. We set up a time for me to come in, and she said, So, Gina, I understand you had this experience. What did it feel like? And, of course, I hated that. And I'm like, what the F do you think it felt like? I wanted to get Hmm. naked, and I wanted to push my nakedness through a wall of orange to bleed the want for a parent, to bleed the want for belonging, to to bleed the want for being loved out of my body. Okay? So Hmm. when the designer read that, she
3: took a wall
1: of roses, And someone has led this child to believe So she took a wall of roses And she took the title And what she is doing Is pushing that title Through A wall of roses And so Mm. What we get is We all come into this world According to our own beliefs According to our own story lines Our own story rhythms And some of us are fortunate enough to have one parent, maybe two, maybe an entire community, maybe a legacy of generations. And but all of them have their rhythms and tunes. And then some of us force ourselves into existence. And in so doing, we have to bleed. We have to get cut. We have, it's raw. It's, and so that be here has always wanted to be here, and has always been willing to do it by any means necessary, even Mm. if it means to be sliced a thousand times.
0: My Mm. spirit wants to be here. So
1: here we are. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow.
0: Yeah, um, I haven't, I haven't, read your books yet but they are definitely on my list for reading once I, I finish the semester and um, I just you know wow if, to be able to share such a story with uh, you know a world audience yeah um, and so eloquently as well, well. If, I
1: don't, if I don't who will mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. There are, you know, there are at least three hundred and sixty-five thousand mm-hmm. African American children awaiting a family in foster care, Wanda, and wow, those kids look like you and me.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. these are black babies of every every shade. You know how we come. In every mm-hmm. shade, and you know, we've got to go and get our kids. And, and with that, I want to, I want to read this. From with that said, I want to read this little piece from the from the prologue of my newest book. Someone has led this child to believe, and I love this prologue. I was sitting in a hotel down in Palo Alto. Right off of university And
3: mm-hmm. I like to go
1: away sometimes And write because I don't like to, to conjure Up the spirits of my past in my house Because then they don't uh. want to go When I want to close the book or the, or the computer They want to stay and hang out And not everybody yeah. wants to be bothered with all this <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Right And so they don't always like to go when I want them to go So I take them to a hotel and they can stay Once I'm gone but anyway I, mm-hmm. I wrote this prologue My, my, my uh, publisher editor said, we need something for the front of the book. And this has arrived, and it's in the prologue. Throughout my journey, I have met thousands of children and youth who are biting their childhoods away in out-of-home care and foster care, wondering what will become of them and wanting to know how to traverse the course they're on. From group homes to fictive kin homes, from transitional housing programs to emancipated young people with no place to land, these children are doing what they can to just get through another day. Some seem to thrive more than others, while there Mm -hmm. have been many who felt they can't afford to dream beyond an inch of their breath. This is the task. This is the task of anyone who carries the burden of his or her own unworthiness, to learn Mm. to give one's own self merciful favor while standing in the blistering heat of a primal wound, to seek refuge within one's own heart, and to wipe someone else's fatalistic narrative of what their life will be from their conscience, hand it back to the disbeliever and say, I believe this belongs to you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I was just wondering um, how, how you ended up having a therapist because um, I know a lot of children who need um, psychological Help don't always get it more often they don't get it and and so I was just wondering how how you happen to have gotten that kind of assistance um you know in this journey um considering you know the trauma that you experienced and I was just wondering if you could um talk a little bit about that, because I was just reading um in some of my notes that um that your journey your journey includes um uh,
2: you know, navigating
0: through charity, foster care homes, and psych wards in California, and, and then the whole term around throwaway child and, and someone, you know, sort of telling you that, um, that your vision for yourself was not the vision that, um, that the people around you were having for you. Um, it's almost like Cinderella, only it's not a fairy tale. Um, it, you know, yeah, yeah. And Phu, so you could tell us a little bit about that as well as um, before we close, and this is another thing, and I could say it again if I need to, um, you know, with the whole thing around immigration uh, and separating children from their parents, um, and and this happened also during, you know, after Hurricane Katrina, you know, children were separated from their parents, and, I mean, children that don't that couldn't speak yet so how are you going to connect this child with the parent if the child has no language um or a child is a you know um really young so you know, I just wanted you to talk about that a little bit as well
1: well wow. okay that's a, that's a, i think i tracked you so in terms <laughs> of therapy yeah that was a, yeah i got it so in terms okay. of therapy i think if i had to if someone were to ask me what was the biggest best gift I received from the foster care system in my journey? I would say permission to to have a therapist. I have heard many, many, many people say that as African American people we don't believe in therapy. We don't want to tell people our stories. We don't believe in that. And okay, I hear that. And I don't believe that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for me, I I love therapy. I've been in therapy for thirty plus years. Wait, no, I've been in therapy off and on for forty years. Therapy taught me hmm. to re-parent myself. Therapy for me was about having a mirror, someone who could mirror my importance, my humanity. Someone who taught me compassion, someone who taught me how to stay, someone who taught me to broaden my capacity to stay with incredibly difficult feelings, incredibly difficult realities, incredibly just incredible difficulties of what it means to be human, what it means to be black, what it, to be woman, what it means to be a woman, what it means to at one point have been poor, an orphan. I mean, I had so many, so many qualities that that negatively patinaed my essence, if you will. And so I needed someone to teach me how to be with all that, put it in the context, and learn to stay. He was for me. It gave me permission to, to inhabit and live more fully from the essence of me. It gave me a sense of self self. So I had my first therapist when I was probably 13, and I am 50-plus, and I, like I said, I've had a therapist in, in, to, to some degree my, for the better part of 40 years of my life, and I wouldn't change anything about that. So I, I want people to run and get one to run and get one. And if you don't run and get one, <laughs> you know, it, it, it would be to anybody's uh, betterment, I think. You know, not that I'm prescribing that, but I think to a more, more or less degree, I think that we can all find something from being engaged and in attunement with another human being, and, and it doesn't matter how long. So that's my skill on therapy. In terms of this issue of... Uh, what's amazing is during National Ad- Adoption Month, I was not able to get media for them. I love that. But it was interesting that it was difficult for me to get media around my newest book in in relationship and connection with foster care and African-American children. But I was able to get CNN because I was going to talk about Children detained at the border, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I didn't turn it down. Although to me, I am not advocating for children detained at the border. I don't believe in it, but that doesn't mean for it either. Because I feel that I don't want to to be that person that that switches my affinity to the hottest new subject of the moment and. Black children have been dispossessed for centuries. It is a cultural practice here in America. So my heart of hearts is with the children who people so easily will want to erase, so easily want to turn a blind eye to. From that language in it, it's a $65 billion industry, and it is the cradle to the prison pipeline, and it is also fuels the foster care industrial Complex. So, yeah, those children who are detained at the border, I'm terribly sorry, and my heart goes out to them. And, yes, children separated from their families, there should be no delineation, no line that delineates what that is about. However, when we have to deal with race and class as transactional pieces, then I'm going to advocate for the ones that look like me. You know, there's a movie that just came out called uh, Instant Family, and I got to tell you, girl, I Mm -hmm. again say I don't stand for, you know, Latin Americans, Chicanos, Chicanos. No, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm not, that's not me. I don't Mm -hmm. come from that. I don't have the privilege, or I don't have any of what they stand for, but what I am about is Where's that little black girl that's languishing in foster care, that little black boy that's most likely, most probably going to grow up and, and both, the black girl and the black boy, are going to be, be consumers of recidivism. They're more likely to have children that are going to end up in those same systems to keep them going, be that welfare, be that uh, 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 child services So for me, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at this movie, and I'm thinking, wow, really? Really? Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hispanic children represent the least demographic in the foster care system. And you mean to tell me that we've come this far to only once again turn the other cheek. There's another movie called The Move that is used for training foster parents. I train foster parents. I pull up the movie. To show it in the training about this little white girl being removed from her family, and she ends up with a black foster mother. You want to know what said in that room? They were like, I posed the question, wow, isn't it interesting that African-American children disproportionately are representative in foster care, yet all these movies are about white kids, Latin kids. It's, we turn the eye, and this is what every person in that room said. Well, probably nobody would watch it if it was about a black child. So that Mm nearly broke my heart. And I said, you know what? Oh, no. So I'm here to let you know, Wendy, my movie, I Am Somebody's Child, which will air in April 2019. I'm here to be representative of it. Finally, finally, this little black girl will have her say. You understand Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It's like I fought for 16 years to have this movie turned into a national PSA about how our children get dispossessed. And I will say this thing. One thing that the children at the border have in common with the little black children that are in foster care, I was they used a chemical straitjacket on me, basically pumped me full of drugs. I had withdrawals that were akin to Parkinson's. They wanted to, to give me a mental lobotomy. That's what's happening to children we have in common other than our common humanity. And to think that 30 years ago, that's how I was being treated, to have a want, to have a desire, to believe I belong, and that's what the children at the border are having to contend with. No, but there are no
0: adults on. Excuse me, Regina. Sorry, um, my other guests have been in the studio for about five minutes, and I don't want them to go away. But, wow, we definitely have to have another conversation because, you just getting rolling, um, and and thank you, thank you so much for the specificity of of the story, um, because there are a lot of things we can do to 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 rescue our children, and, and I'd like for us to talk about that next time, what people can do um, to get involved um, and and be able to save our kids. But in the meantime, could you give our audience your website, uh, and, and so that they can get a copy of someone has led this child to believe, as well as Somebody, someone, which is going to be made into a movie, yes. which you said is going to be out April two thousand nineteen.
1: If you want to, you know, keep in touch with me. My website is www.iamreginalouise.com. dot com. On Instagram, my Instagram handle is the real Regina Louise. And one last thing, Wendy, I want to say this: if you Wanda. all want to do something, Wanda, I'm sorry. <laughs> Wanda, if you okay. all would like to do something for children in foster care this Christmas? Go to one simple wish dot com and grant the wish of a child in foster care. I'm in love with this new organization. I just found it last night. Grant a child a wish for the holiday because they don't have it like we have it.
0: All righty. Well, you, you have, have a good rest of the all day, right. and, and thank you so you much, too. and congratulations on your on your your film and the book and. And your, I don't know your your work as as a champion for justice. I really appreciate it for our babies. Thank you. All right, peace and blessings. Oh, good morning, Dante Clark and Dr. Khalid Akil White. Thanks for hanging in there. How are both of you doing? Oh,
2: fantastic. Thank you.
0: Oh, excellent, excellent. Dante.
2: Yes, ma'am. I am well. How are you today?
0: Oh. I'm fine, I'm fine. Congratulations, Dante, on your first book, No Freedom, uh, and your,
3: you. your
0: your gala on Sunday in Richmond at the Richmond Post at the Bridge Art Space, 23 Main Avenue. And um, what is the time again on that?
2: 3 to 6. 3, Three to, to 6,
0: six p.m. Yeah, people can get a deal on the book, right?
2: Oh, uh, yes, and <laughs> Besides
0: getting your signature. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so I'm going um, to um, maybe um, let you all talk to us about how, how you happen to, to meet each other. But, uh, Dr. White, thanks so much for joining us, and it's really great to have you on again after talking about that wonderful uh, Black Fatherhood movie that you um, screened. Um, I guess, was it, I'm trying to remember, what month did you do that? It was this year, right? Or was it last year? you yeah.
4: Well, we've been screening this so much, Wanda. Uh, I forget exactly <laughs> which month you and I uh, talked about it, but thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on again, and um, yeah. it's a pleasure to be here with uh, with Dante.
5: Yeah,
0: the support yeah. of Dante. Yeah. Right, right, and um, you are. Um, I was trying to find a bio for you, and so hopefully this mm-hmm. works. I went to your um, your LinkedIn.
3: <laughs> okay. And
0: it says that you're an educator, an author, a filmmaker, owner. Um, at um, blkmpwr. dot com. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it black? Black? How do you pronounce it? Blackmail? Black, black,
4: black Empower.
0: Black Empower, right?
4: Yeah, yes, yeah.
0: I love the way you um, you spell it. <laughs> Thank you. And um, <laughs> and um, uh, San Francisco Bay Area uh, educator in higher education. Um, you're currently at uh, San Jose City College. Are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay. And previously you were at San Jose State University uh, mm-hmm. and uh, San Mateo County Juvenile Probation Department, and you mm-hmm. are a Morehouse man.
4: I am. Yep, I am. Yeah. I am all
0: and, those and things. The man, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And the man of the hour, Dante, is a poet from Richmond, California, whom you used to teach and mentor, and you still teach, well, you still mentor, uh, who uses his art to serve humanity as a documentarian. He captures the hardships of black life while also bringing all listeners a step closer to no freedom. With layers of complex rhythm and harmony, Dante has the ability to stop hearts with his intensive performances, and his poetry is so stunning that his audience is left feeling as if they are on the brink of a revolution. (laughs) Wow. So Dante, you know, you're going to have to like just give us a poem now after all that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, being born black, bearing blues by brothers buried beneath bridges burn bodies belittled before becoming better Beyond broken, but believing That I am a walking prayer, Negro spiritual Cry from a broken heart that bled obsidian Trying not to be a cup that's bitter sip On bed, table, absent of soul food In the kitchen out of reach from grandma's hands In some trap house, section eight miles away from life that's living I want to empty out, be baptized in the honey, and drip for eternity. Well, some.
0: Wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Snap, snap, snap. <laughs> so, So, um, how do you all know each other? Tell us, tell us the story. Give us the history. I love
6: Brother White.
0: And, okay, all right, Brother White. Yeah. Tell us the
6: story.
4: Okay. Um, <laughs> When I, you know, what I was, I probably thinking back, it was about 2004, and I had um, got em, well, I had gained employment at a program that was based in Richmond, California, called the Making Waves Program. And um, in that program, it took a number of different, um, you know, black and brown youth from that area and put them in an after-school um, process or program. It also helped them get into private and parochial schools, and lo and behold, I got um, assigned to a number of the different, you know, young black males that were in the ninth grade that year, and one of which happened to be Dante Clark. And so, um, that was 2004. He was on my caseload. I had to chase them all around, you know, high Mm -hmm. schools and and after school, and and, you know, in school, he was going to school in Oakland at one point. He was going to school in Richmond at one point, and. um, you know, to make a long story short, we just developed a rapport from from then, and um, you know Dante was a different Dante than he is now. He was a he was a kid then. He's a, you know an adult now with a little bit more um, in a different direction, I would say. And so, you know, I just felt like man, with him and with some of the other young young uh, men that are and women too that I got a chance to. to, to um, to work with in that program, I just tried to impart a little bit of you know my own knowledge and wisdom and try to direct him, but we had just kept in touch and developed a friendship and developed a relationship that lasted beyond my time of making waves and his time of making waves and um, you know we just we stayed in contact, we would kind of hang out, talk here and there, and we still do and um, now just to see him blossom and bloom into this poet. Activist, author, actor, you know, international—this yeah. international guy. It's like, man, this is this is just awesome to see that. So, anyway, um, yeah, we you know we got connected when when he and I both were young. I think he was probably fourteen, fifteen. I was twenty-four, twenty-three, twenty-five, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. So mm-hmm. it's been a you know relationship over ten plus years, probably close to fifteen now. Um,
3: mm-hmm. And
4: uh, yeah, just to see just being able to see the growth It's like man this is, a, this is a testament to why you don't give up on our young men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: right yeah. Yeah. yeah our young children young mm-hmm. our young, yeah. our young yeah. men
4: and young women too now let me not i don't want right. to genderize it our children our youth this is why you this is why you invest in youth to see these mm-hmm. returns on you know the investments
0: right yeah. right yeah yeah mm-hmm. certainly so dante um uh and and uh. Brother White, um, talk about, you know, this whole thing around no freedom. And, and, and uh, Dante, we had this great conversation earlier this week about the title and how this is part one. And, and this is your first book. And we're like, really? Like, what? I mean, you know, because you're just like so out there, you know, with, you know, Tay's harmony and, and you know, you're, you're ready. You're, 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 you're like, you're a star in a, in a series, and they're getting ready to have, what, the second season now? Um, you have to tell, like, yes, what that season is so that they can watch you. Um, but you're like a superstar. You know? um, so, and this is your first book, and, and you, you, you know, this whole powerful thing, like, Know Freedom. Like, wow, how do you know freedom? So talk about sort of you know this collection and it being part one and your career and how you finally settled down to be able to like put these poems in a book.
3: <laughs> mm.
0: And why? And why okay. 2018? Um, you know, like why now as opposed to you know last year or next year?
2: Mm. It's It's so many different directions I could go in, so I'm gonna try to make these like like uh. The, the web series that that you were speaking about is called the North Pole show. Um the first season is on YouTube and it's on a website on uh, com, and it's about gentrification in North Oakland. It's a political comedy. We just finished filming the second season um uh, which will be possibly airing this uh upcoming season in the spring summertime so look out for that. Uh the title no freedom. Um short story is I I was I was doing a lot of touring um, last year with the film Romeo is Bleeding, um, the documentary, which is about the play that we had wrote back in 2012, 13, uh, Romeo and Juliet at Richmond, California. And so I was on the East Coast, and during the South, I was going to a lot of different schools and colleges and talking to young people. And in uh, these penitentiaries and uh, juvenile detention centers, and the young people was asking me, like, man, you're a powerful writer, powerful performer. Do you have anything, like any books out or something that's published that we can read? And I'm like, you know, I've been thinking about writing a book over the years, but I just wasn't, I didn't feel motivated to do it at the time. But the more I kept talking to these youngsters, especially that was in penitentiary, was asking me for a book because they would love to read it, that, that touched me. And it was like, all right, I might have to start working on that now.
3: Mm-hmm. So that
2: was last mm-hmm. year around this time. And so I started thinking about what would I want to say? What, I have a lot of poems, a lot of songs, a lot of stories. I'm like, but what do I want to say? I want it to be a statement and not just a collection of my poetry. And so as I was just doing my daily routine and I was just thinking, and I was like, everything that we have been doing as black people has been to to figure out how to navigate through the system to get to a place where we know freedom, whether that's financially, educational-wise, physically, or whatever it is that we're trying to do, we all trying to know freedom. And then from that idea, I was like, well, a lot of my poems fit that theme of us navigating through the system to know what freedom is. and Some of us have no freedom. So I was looking at no freedom. Also, when you say it, it sounds like N-O. So I'm like, that's a beautiful concept that I want to play with, this idea of no freedom. We all are on a journey to no freedom, but in the end, we have found no freedom. And so I wanted to put that as a title um, to just to jumpstart it. And then I start collecting the poems that I've written and performed over the years. Some I've written and never performed, and then I wrote new pieces to just add to the collection and make it a volume one because I feel like this is just to raise the conversation that I would like to talk about whenever I perform or whenever I tour and moving forward from all of my past projects is like all of those were me capturing those moments that I was in, but now I want to really elevate a conversation because I feel like a lot of us as black folks, we all are comfortable in some sense of where we are in life, but until we are all free, nobody is free. And so that's what I want to raise with this first volume and then the second, third, and whatever comes afterwards will we'll highlight that as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about freedom, how we stay free and how do we know we're free. Well, maybe we should, how do we know we're free and then if we are really free, uh, <laughs> how do we stay free? And this is for both of you.
2: Uh, I can go uh, first. I feel, I feel like it's, it's, it's so many different layers to it, um, and I think that's a part of the illusion is when we attain mm. one thing, we think, oh, we good now, but we then mm. figure out we are affected by other areas. So I, I, I try to peel it back and go to the basics. Um, it's, I feel like it's two emotions, things that, that governs everything. It's fear and love. If you do anything out of anger, it's because you, um, you have no understanding and you are afraid of something. And that makes you feel uncomfortable. So you're either sad about it or you become angry. And anger is just hiding the fear. You know what I mean? So it's either you are afraid or you move in love. And if you move in love, then you're peace, you're kind, you're giving, you're empathetic, you're not selfish. You don't have a need to win a competition. It's like if I win, we all win. If we all win, I win. So if you move with love, then you are in a place of freedom. Because most of us don't move in that place, then we will never know freedom. And everything we do is fear-based. You know what I mean? Like, for an example, we all have car alarms. We have house alarms because we are afraid of somebody breaking in our house. If you have to live in fear, then how can you say that you're free? And I don't care what house you live in, if it's a big mansion or a shack, if you feel like you have to protect these material things more than you are concerned about protecting your life or making sure that somebody out there Has what they need, so they won't even feel the need to break in your house. So that means you're. Mm -hmm. If this person is oppressed, then how can you be free? Because they gonna come steal from you. So that just, just to make it basic like that, I'm like, we all live in fear. Then we, no one knows freedom. And then Mm -hmm. as far as the black community, I feel like it's so much trauma in our community that it's hard for us to really move in love with one another because on one hand, um, we don't want to identify with that struggle because now we feel responsible of sharing the little piece of pie that we have, or we feel like we have to be in competition with this person because it's, it's only a certain amount of slices. Person get one, it's not going to be enough for me. And until we change that mentality, yeah. us as black people, we will never be free. And I feel like the first step towards that is once we start to be our step towards our independence from depending on this uh, capitalistic, uh, European, Eurocentric, westernized mindset. And once we started getting back to ourselves, then we would be a step closer to knowing what that freedom is. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah, Brother White.
3: You
6: see how deep this young man is?
0: Yes,
4: <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> I do. Prepare another one for us, Brother Dante. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I don't have I don't have a, a, a follow up to that, but um, you know, that, I think that's so well that's so well said. Um I, I would just say that freedom for me, the way I see it, definitely is ridding ourselves as as people of African descent of these westernized and Europeanized shackles mentally. Um and emotionally. And then from there we can start to operate more in a in a, a free manner. Now If we stay on this American continent, North American, you know, continent, um, there's no doubt we're going to deal with capitalism. We're going to deal with eurocentricity. We're going to deal with, um, you know, chauvinism and and paternalism, those types of things, right? So, if we can um, keep our minds strong enough and keep our minds to an effect free enough, I think that that's the first step in knowing freedom. For me personally. But um, mm-hmm. you know Dante Dante said it so eloquently, um, mm-hmm. and that's why he that's why he's as powerful as he is. You know, critical thinker um, and and a, a critical artist. You know, in terms of uh, just mm-hmm. his, just his concept development. And uh, yeah,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, um, Dante, are you the poet laureate for Richmond, California, or were you the poet laureate? Oh, uh,
2: back in, I believe it was 2014, um, they mm-hmm. had granted me one of the pro- lawyers. It was three of us. Um, oh, so okay. they, I guess the, the council couldn't decide on which one, so it was three mm-hmm. of us. Uh, my uh, young, my little sister who was in the program with me, uh, Brenda, she was one yeah. of the lawyers, and Lincoln Berman, he was also one of the lawyers. So I am not right mm-hmm. now a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Another one of my little sisters who I worked with, Sierra uh, G- uh, Gervais, She is one of the laureates, and I think it's also three of them. But whether they gave me that title for the city or not, I was moving in a way like I don't know nobody that came from my neighborhood that wrote poetry as they way out. Everybody else had they got it how they lived from the streets. So the fact that Mm -hmm. I was able to articulate not only from the books but also from the street corners and put it in a way that the people in the streets could relate and the people in the Mm -hmm. classrooms could relate and people who in the rich communities, no matter where you're from, could relate to what I'm talking about, I always looked at myself as a poet a poet for the people. So as long as I'm doing that, I don't really I'm not really tripping about a term on a city or somebody else. Give me although I appreciate that, that I was acknowledged to even be considered like a representative but I still look at myself as a poet laureate. Mhm. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we have about five or so minutes and I was just wondering um if uh, besides you know asking for another poem, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about um sort of if we're if we're talking about freedom, uh and, and black people can never talk enough about freedom <laughs> we sing about freedom, we talk about freedom because wow, mm-hmm. we live in a in a society that you know, like just one step from being captured all the time, and unless you, you know, have, you know, have a plan and a strategy to stay free, because people, exactly. as people, give away their freedom all the time because a lot of times people don't think they have choices. And I was wondering if you both could talk a little bit about, you know, growing up. You know, I think you both grew up in the Bay Area. Um, you know, black boys now black men, and 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 just sort of being able to navigate the, terr- the terrain in a way that you weren't captured. So I was wondering if you could maybe
3: mm. like
0: drop or you know give us some clues. You know, some some parents that might be listening that need some some, some ways to like ensure that their black boys and their black girls safely. Hmm. Okay.
4: Um. I, I think. As as the elder statesman between myself and Dante, right, um, Mm -hmm. I think that the the need for, um, particularly with boys, positive mentoring, positive role models, and imagery, you know, positive imagery, I think has helped keep me, you know, free, uh, physically free out of the system. I think that that was big for me. And in turn, that's the types of things that I try to do with some of the young people that I work with is just show them that, look, you know, um, I was the person that you know. I didn't. I didn't necessarily come from the streets. I don't have that that background. But at the same time, um, you know, I am a black man, and it's, it is America. So there's other routes that you can take beyond the streets or outside of the streets. There's a way that you can use your intellect. There's a way that you can use your um, mind. There's a way that you can use your emotions in ways that um, can help you remain free, but also going to help you. You know, have some type of tangible skills and life skills, and. Um, you know, at the same time, um, I had uh, other men that, that really invested those types of thoughts and feelings and in, in actions and behaviors in front of me or into me. And so um, with that, you know, they kind of showed me that it wasn't just one type of lifestyle. You know, it wasn't just either sports or entertainment or the street. There were some other people that did some other things, whether it was small business owners, whether it was people who had a 9 to 5, whether it was people who um, – had two jobs, you know what I mean? Those types of individuals kind of, you know, also molded me. So I think that in turn I try to represent that, that, that voice of black America, of black men to young people that I
0: work with.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, Dante, you told, you told me uh, some stories about your dad and your mom, and um, mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, maybe you might want to tell us a little bit about, about your people, so to speak. And you have siblings.
2: Ma'am, too. Oh, oh yeah, I got a lot of siblings. Um I, <laughs> I I take my hat off to my to my mom's and my pops. Um uh, my mom's she did the best that she could to raise us in an environment where my pop sometimes was absent, whether he was uh caught up in the streets trying to provide for us or he was incarcerated. Uh, so my mom did the best that she could. And one thing that she taught me was care what you wanna be, be the best at it. As long as it make you happy be the best at it, and I support mm-hmm. you. And so just with that little bit of encouragement of me feeling like, dang, if I don't go to school, if I don't want to get a job in corporate America, what can I do? Because all I have is the streets. Her just giving me that encouragement. I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't go to college, but you better have a plan. And whatever that plan is, execute it. And so me just looking at that like, whatever it is that I want to do, I can't do it as long as I have a plan. And then my pops always taught me, uh, I don't care how old you is, you know what I mean? You could be 15 or you could be 105 years old. You got there one day at a time, and you only get 24 hours. Eight hours to sleep, eight hours to do your business, and eight hours to stay out of somebody else's business, and you'll be all right. And then he'll start cracking up laughing. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> just that, just, just that, those simple jewels of, mm-hmm. like, man, just one day at a time, make a plan, and execute it in 24 hours, mm-hmm. eight hours of sleep. Eight hours of doing your work, and then eight hours of minding your own business and staying out of somebody else's, and you'll be all right. And, and I just, I just <laughs> apply that, and I feel like that'll be, uh, that can be applied in a lot of ways of knowing freedom. It's like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Identify mm-hmm. it, is what you want, and make a plan and do it every day, one day at a time, and eventually it's gonna come. It may, it may seem like it may take two years, but if you work at it, twenty-four hours a day. Like give it your all. Twenty four hours, you can get a lot done in twenty four hours when you with, with concentration of minding your business mm-hmm. and getting some rest, you can get it done. And so that's those are two things that I got from my parents, and I apply that today.
0: Mhm. Wow, nice, nice. Well, our audience know we're speaking to Dante Clark, uh, and uh, Dr. Khalil Khalid, um, Akil White about Dante's newest book. The first off the press to look for others, no freedom, and there's going to be a really wonderful gala at Richmond Post uh, in the Bridge Arts Space at 23 Main Avenue, in Richmond, California, this Sunday from three to six. So, you're gonna take it take it out with a poem, another poem, Dante from your collection.
2: Oh, man, uh, I'm gonna do um, <laughs> I'm gonna do a couple of short pieces, okay, just to give. Folks, something to think about this piece is called uh heal and it goes my mind is trying to forget what my heart has forgiven life sings mm-hmm. me sweet songs i would love to dance but i'm afraid of my feet let that sink in mm-hmm. how i feel from beginning a scarred mind drooped in a sunken place is hate for thyself out from midnight water does rusty brown sliced fruit have to grind to no freedom Outside of the ninth ward. O. G. Bourbon cried Hasilu, hasilu to escape poverty of spirits, fairy tale, and breeze by as a memory of lemonade. If you try to understand me, this is strictly for the leaders who misunderstood Tupac Shakur's black fist, now drips of a city in blood on our hands. Cause somewhere in America, sliced fruit bleeds concrete, a people damned in search for honeycomb to be around, seeking funnies on road trips. To read you and have an eye for it takes digging. Want to become the fabric of me, one day wrapped in K's harmony. To escape dreaming for the present. To fall, knowing love, let her be touched and healed from afraid. Be footprints for forgiveness sake. Now that I pass the age 26, please remember me smiling. <laughs> thank you. Ah, Wonderful. Well, thank you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. Wow, yeah. Um, so my next guest is in the studio, and um, really looking forward to the gala party celebration of your work um, on Sunday, uh, Dante. Congratulations on this wonderful work, and congratulations to you, brother White. You know, like you have some you have some input in this young man that we're talking to this, this morning. So you know, congratulations to you too. You know, you, you have some input, a whole lot of input. <laughs> yeah, definitely. and uh, I don't know if you're going to you. share some of that forward that you wrote in the book um, or introduce him um, on Sunday, but I know you're probably going to definitely be there. So look forward I to seeing be there. you as well. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> right. and I
4: uh, look forward to seeing you too. Thank you for the opportunity, Wanda.
0: Oh, you're quite right. welcome. You all have a good rest of the day.
4: You too. All right. All
0: right, peace and blessings. You. You're welcome. Good morning, Martin Luther McCoy. Thanks for calling back in. How are you?
7: Oh, I'm doing all right. How about yourself?
0: Oh, I'm fine. You are just like all over the place. I saw you in Picture This, Bayview, Hunter's Point. That was so awesome, that song that you composed as a part of the Zocco um, Dance Theater Company's um, wonderful work, Joanna Haygood and Company. I mean, ah, it was so awesome. Yeah. We had, a, we had then, an amazing time. You all were really great. It was just so beautiful to tell that story. And who would have known, you know, that, that you know, like you got your people are there. It's like, wow.
7: Yes. My father started a business in the Bayview. And when my parents first moved to San Francisco, uh, they were up in the projects on Keska Road for a long time before moving over to Ingleside. But maintained mm-hmm. a healthy relationship with the church, Bell Chapel. As well as yeah. opened up a business on Third Street that employed a large number of african American uh, members of this community, mhm, mhm,
0: yeah, yeah, And then you know uh susan um laurie Parks, you know father comes home, you're in there too, like what <laughs> Father comes home
7: from the wars that was yeah, that was exactly. an amazing experience. We got a chance mm-hmm. to go off to uh, do some training on uh, Yale's campus. At, uh, oh. We work directly with Yale School of Drama directors, mm-hmm. administrators, teachers, and students, as well as we had some hands-on insight from Susan Lloyd-Parks herself. It was directed mm-hmm. by uh, Liz Diamond, who has worked with Susan Lloyd-Parks largely for the last 30 years. They're very, very well connected, and that was right. an amazing experience got a chance to cut mm-hmm. my teeth on some major stages in a, in a major mm-hmm. theatrical event. It was amazing.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. And now we have you on to talk about um, – Oakland Symphony, Swing and Soul, Let Us Break Bread Together, honoring Nina Simone, which is going to be happening on Sunday, December 16th at 4 p.m. at the Paramount Theater in Oakland. So what are you going to be doing? Because there's like so many superstars. Hello,
5: Paramount so many Theater. Superstars. It's been too long. Yes.
7: It's been too long. Oh, seriously?
0: Yeah. Oh, Okay. <laughs> yeah, and we get
7: a chance to rock with the symphony as well. And uh, yeah, quite interestingly yeah. enough, I believe Kev Choice just had a successful run with the Paramount with the Oakland Symphony, which was amazing. And mm-hmm. I was jealous I didn't get a chance to perform in that. I think I was doing the play at the time. But, you know, uh, when God yeah. has his hands on you, opportunities mm-hmm. will unfold. You just got to stay in the paint. Yeah, yeah. So um,
0: you all are going to be sort of Looking to Nina Simone and the Boogie Woogie of Fat Domino, um, Come on. Uh, as, yeah, and so um, the what Jazz you Mafia, about? yeah, Jazz Mafia is uh, performing um, Oakland Symphony Chorus uh, with Len Morrow as the director and uh, mm-hmm. Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir, you know, Terrence Kelly, so uh, and also Faith the Mount. Ma- yeah, yeah. And the Mount Eden High School concert choir. So are you preparing like a, a set, uh and, and sort of what what are you gonna be speaking to musically around the theme of Negro spirituals and and the incomparable Nina Simone and fast domino in the same sentence?
7: <laughs> Indeed. I mean I'm gonna give you a full fledged Martin Luther McCoy. Uh, performance, and I'm going to give you the best workshopping and, uh, what would you call it, interpretive performance of some of Fat Domino's legendary work. They're bringing Mm -hmm. me in specifically Mm -hmm. to deal with that section of the music, and Adam Thies has put some incredible arrangements together for the symphony and for the choirs, and, uh, I can't tell you everything because you have to come see it and listen and enjoy it for yourself. But it definitely be, uh, <laughs> a joyous occasion. We're going to have a good time. Mm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about about your your artistic career because you're also an activist and you know and you carrying that name, Martin Luther. Like wow, that's a tough yeah. name
7: to carry. I mean, it I was never, like, um, <laughs> it was never a cross that I intended on or wanted to bear. It was a name that I, I shied away from as a youth. I, no one really knew my name was Martin Luther. People called me Marty, Marty McCoy. And that was fine, mm-hmm. but Martin Luther had so much weight to it. And then I ended up going to uh, Morehouse College mm-hmm. where, um, you know, Dr. King also, he's an alumnus. So there was even more interest in that because while in Atlanta, most people that knew me through my collegiate days, they called me Cisco being that I was from San Francisco and also mm-hmm. didn't know that my name was Martin Luther McCoy. And when I uh, decided that I had to pursue the arts and under my own name, that's when it became very clear to a lot of people like, oh, okay. Some, some folks and friends of mine actually thought that I was taking on the name Martin Luther and the spirit and the legacy of the struggle and the civil rights movement as, um, as an act, as a part of a motif or something of that nature, but it's actually my birth name. And it's Mm -hmm. been, you know, it's challenging when you deal with, let's just say, search engine optimization, where I might sing R&B and soul music and punk rock soul and rebel soul is the the brand of American genre art form that I've created in my mind, although there were also plenty of rebel soul-styled artists before me, like Funkadelic, like Black Murder, like a band called Death, there's a, there's a lot of uh, black artists who have picked up the guitar, turned on the distortion, turned it way up, and uh, had something to say that might have either been challenging Quo cool, or trying to impart new thoughts and new ideas in the urban community. But I have um, welcomed that challenge as well in today's modern music landscape because it's what I do. It's not what I am putting on for a moment and trying and then trying something else later. And I happened to link up with the Legendary Roots crew while on my process. I was actually Mm -hmm. um, attending a funeral for my grandmother down in Houston, Texas. And at the same time, the Roots were passing through with a tour with Erica Badu and Cody Chestnut. And at that time, Cody and I were doing a lot of shows in Los Angeles together. So I decided that I needed to go up to New York and um, perform for some Sony executives and that turned into The Roots, um, having an opportunity for me to join their band for a couple of years. So I did that for about three years. And then came back to the West Coast to release more music, Rebel Soul Music, Love is the Hero, Extraterrestrial Brother. And now I'm working on it. Mm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So are you going to be on stage yeah. doing any more uh, theater?
3: I will,
7: so we I will be. All-
0: you will? Oh, super. What?
7: I I I definitely Well, I'm working on a one-man play right now. And it will be launching here in the Bay Area. When Mm -hmm. we have the uh, location and the dates, you will definitely be one of the first to know. Oh, awesome, awesome. Oh,
0: that's so great. There's
7: also going to be a Rebel Soul Fest here in the Bay Area Mm -hmm. on January 21st in Oakland, California, at the Spirit Mm -hmm. House. You'll also get some information on that. But uh, like I was saying before, um young black men, aggressive music, guitars, spirit filled music with purpose and intention is gonna be delivered that night. It's gonna be um it's gonna be almost um, Mystic Ministry is a is a good a good handle for it. But yeah, we haven't had a rebel open in the Bay Area in quite some time. So it's time for another one. And it's gonna feature uh, myself and Stone Mecca. And kind of blood technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. How how does um how do you um how do you stay conscious and 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 also you know able to uh I guess to turn um, sort of the you know things that are going on in the world. How do you how do you how do you stay positive when it seems as if the bad guys are winning? Uh, yeah, and uh, because your message is, is really one of love, and, and I mean, you sing about love a lot, and um,
7: I do. It appears to me that love always wins in the end. It appears to me that love is the hero that is undefeated. So either I'm going to give in to whatever the current season is or I'm going to choose to stay focused on what I believe uh will reward you with an eternal and everlasting victory. And that's not the easiest thing to do sometimes because you might see a lot of people or a lot of things happening that are getting over or it feels like evil is actually gaining a lot more ground. Well then that means I got to dig my heels in a whole lot deeper, counting on anybody else and their process to dictate or to govern, or to, to determine for my spirit and for my life and for my agenda and for my path. So I see what they got going on. I smell it. I hear it. You know, the people are getting way emboldened with number 45 at the helm, but that just means that I got to double do, you know, double down with my uh, ideas and with action plans and with collaborations. I'll be doing some work with the Hyrule crew in Oakland real soon. Shout-out to DJ Ture, uh, shout-out DJ Sharp and Ankh Marketing. You have to figure out who is on the same path that you're on, link mm-hmm. up, and activate. If you sit around just waiting for things to turn around and get better, you might be waiting a long time. So I intend on making things better for myself and for my family and for my allies with everything that I'm doing. Yeah,
0: yeah. So having a father, you know, um, businessman and I don't know if your mother's a businesswoman as well and, and I know you she have siblings. She is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that how you've been able to like your art is your business? Um a lot of times people have a another job to support their art, but for you, you've been able to make a career from your work, from your artistic work. And I was just wondering, is that because of how you were raised and because of the examples in your life?
7: It's a, it's a combination because it doesn't mean that everything has been all good financially and I'm just having a good time jumping around doing what I want to do in the world. I still have to deal with some brass tacks and do other things to earn income just like everybody else as an artist you got to be about your hustle. As a creative, you got to be about your hustle. But if you just want to live in the Bay Area, you're going to have to be about your hustle. And that's, a, you know, across the board. I do other things, property management. I've learned how to get into lightweight, into construction, lightweight yeah. into uh, administrative and um, foundation information and nonprofit organizations and joining other ensembles to where I could perform and let my talents be seen and heard I'm uh, the lead singer for a performing arts organization entitled Moon Medicine um, and led by uh, interdisciplinary artist and uh, visual artist Sanford Biggers, who also happens to be one of my Morehouse brothers. Uh, But Mm -hmm. it's not like uh, I've been able to do what I want and I'm just having a good time. There's a lot of struggle involved, but you have to be built for that or have some plans or a way to survive during the lean months, during the lean years, and then also prepare and put away when there is, a, uh, you know, times of plenty. We we have to be responsible for what we want to do in the arts, and it also means how to govern your finances in a way that will allow you to continue to work, to not just be going broke. Because there was a time when every dollar that I made, I put it right back into building the brand Rebel So. And, I mean, that's honorable and noble and whatnot, but it might not have been the smartest thing to do with money every time. Um, My mother would always advise me to put put a percentage away and let it sit there. Don't touch it because emergencies will come up, and if you're completely invested in what your dreams are all the time, then you might not be in the best position to deal with those emergencies. And that's very sound advice. I didn't always follow it. I still have a hard time following it now. I'm very passionate about my dreams. However, you know, we have to be uh, playing the game as smart as possible,
3: and I'm doing mm. the best I can with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. Well, we're really looking forward to uh, to seeing you um, in performance mm-hmm. with the Oakland Symphony um, and the other wonderful folks that are part of this lineup. I just love um, Let Us Break Bread Together, you know, the Oakland Symphony mm-hmm. tradition that Michael Morgan, the maestro, brought with him when he, you know, came to town. Like, how many years mm-hmm. ago was that? <laughs> Hello. Yeah, yeah, because I I it's remember. A blue, a blue area. Oh totally, yeah. Because remember, um, um, Calvin Simmons, right? I mean, he I was do. just such a beautiful person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember going I to the symphonies, and then when he and when he drowned, like, oh my gosh, it's like such a tragic uh... into such a wonderful career and then michael comes you know and it's like ah he's just so lovely and it's i know amazing. it's like how do you
7: feel a void like that and then all of a sudden right. someone comes yeah. with a whole new energy yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's going to be magic as usual yeah so mm. i i have um i have a couple of pieces that um you sent me and i just love uh... rise your acapella piece that's piece that's so beautiful
7: Thank it's, you. It's the word, the soul. is like... the same song that I was actually singing in the uh, Zuko dance presentation. Oh, Zuko cool. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering. It's a dedication I... to
7: the resurrection of a young black mind who happened to be, in particular, my nephew mm. and all of his friends. that I used to, I, mean, I wouldn't say I mentored, but I would holler at them because as um, I find that young black men need older black men stay in tune with we have to stay in tune with them they have to stay in tune with us and when we get disconnected sometimes that could lead to you know very very dark events and occurrences that often lead to prison time or that often lead to um, having rights taken away um, that often leads to a feeling of disenfranchisement of uh, you start to feel like no one really cares, there's no opportunity for you, and you're going to do whatever you're going to do in order to get by and survive. And when you get on that page, it's hard to get off of that page until something happens like someone takes your rights away. And now you have to breathe recycled air or be restricted on how much time you can go out and see the sun every day until someone allows you to. So my intention is to prevent, to prevent that from happening. And I do use my music as the medicine... Because I can, and that's where my heart is. So rise Mm. is that song that speaks to that that particular issue. I mean, it means something different to everyone who hears it. That's what it was written for, and it's been an amazing journey with that song because the fans often request it, and uh, I'm thankful for that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, it's really, really beautiful, and thank you, thank you for the um, you know telling, telling us sort of you know um, how it came to be. And, uh, yeah, really, really wonderful, um, wonderful piece. And so um, so I was thinking, you know, we could close our conversation with this particular work. if um, you want to share anything else about, about Sunday except, you know, you're not giving it all up. you got to come and see, the, you know, coming in. Yeah, I in, mean, Sunday is
7: about to be a <laughs> rocking good time. You know, you know mm-hmm. you're not going to be dragging about. You know, me and Simone, I had the opportunity to perform with Kev oh, Choice, really? interestingly enough. Um, mm. A tribute to Nina Simone, and we mm. played Mississippi Goddamn. And I tell mm. you, that song is amazing. It's amazingly unique to express what she was expressing, as well as the uh, music and the arrangement. And it just lets you know what kind of brilliant level of talent you're dealing with with Nina Simone. You just won't hear anything like her music unless she mm. creates and records it. Now, that's one
2: right.
7: thing. Right. That Domino is rocking. That Domino is ready to turn up, you know, uh, a la his era, but we're going to reinterpret that music and, you know, bring it to the people of Oakland with the Oakland Symphony on Sunday. We want to see you All out right. there. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> All righty. Well, cool. Well, thank you again so much for this great conversation. Look forward to seeing you. And, um, yeah, hearing more about these other, um, you know, the um, – uh, The Rebel Soul um, uh, concert at Spirit House Mm -hmm. on the 21st. That's going to be awesome. And more Mm -hmm. of your mythic ministry, um, you know, sort of other things that have been happening. Because, you know, 2019 is a big year for black folks in in America, looking at the impact of our ancestors on this nation, Um, you know, looking at, um, you know, the move from indentured servitude to enslavement. Um, you know, by way of those ancestors that came into Virginia, um, mm. uh, the Jamestown, Virginia, uh, in right. 1619. Yeah, yeah. So it's all about, you know, our making sure that our presence is acknowledged and our and our gifts to this nation, nation are acknowledged and that we acknowledge our, our own gifts because a lot of times, we you do, know, we, we don't realize our, our values. hmm That's right, and
7: we and we have to uh, not only just seek recognition for our contributions, but we Mm -hmm. also have to put forth our agendas, hold people accountable to meet benchmarks, Mm -hmm. continue to aim higher. As my wife always tells me, continue to aim higher. You will also hear and see me performing with the San Francisco. Or should I say the SF Jazz Collective in 2019 oh. and 2020, and that's a little really? uh, yeah. yeah, that's a little tidbit of early news. But it's going to happen, hopefully, towards the fourth quarter of 2019. Going mm-hmm. forward, things are mm-hmm. in motion. I've been uh, performing at the SF Jazz Center in various capacities over the few last few years, mm-hmm. and I'm definitely looking forward to collaborating with the SFJC.
0: Cool, cool. That's great. So more new work, right? That's right. hmm Oh no, you're just busy. That's great.
7: <laughs> A rolling yeah. stone gathers no moss.
0: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as long as we're moving, we're alive, right?
7: Indeed. But we have mm-hmm. to stay in motion because motion begins motion if you stop. Things can break down. Things can settle. Things can you know, you reach a plateau, the body needs to stay in most. The right. mind needs to stay engaged and there's plenty mm-hmm. of work to do.
0: Mhm. Yeah. So at the end of the show, um, after I have my, my next guest, because um, i 'cause I'm gonna play Rise, you know, now, um, I was gonna play Sarah Smiles and, and that's the um the Sarah Smiles, the standard, right?
7: I mean, it's pretty standard. It's just uh my interpretation. <laughs> Not the way you do it though. Yeah. I mean yeah. I was
0: listening this so I'm like, this is the other one. But it's it's so different the way you do it. <laughs> right. Why do it yeah. the same? You know. Oh. Harla Notes.
7: They they made it uh, an incredible song. They made history with the song and the story. Mm-hmm. And we just decided to put a little twist to it, put that beat on it, you know, get that head knocking mm-hmm. the right way. And then uh <laughs> I go ahead and sing it
0: hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, you thank. Thank you again so much. And I'm going to go ahead and I'll uh, play rise. You have a good rest All of the right. day. All right. Thank you very Be much for Sunday. having me.
7: Have a beautiful rest Cheers. of
0: the day. Sure. See you next Cheers. Sunday. Peace and blessings. Get, Get,
3: Get up.
7: Get up. Get up. Get up.
2: Rise. Rise.
6: Rise. 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 It's time. It's time. It's time. To ride, What's happening, little brother? Are you still getting by on the corner every day? You like to pay Are you still still Getting high Now
3: I'm Only your reflection
6: Deeply bothered Chocolate soul complexion Believe we're gonna rise again Would you please Tell a friend to come on in Take your time and make sure that you do it right Why the Cadillac lean from side to side when I'm hanging with my friends Just to be alive is a reason to ride Especially with my kids Hit a little something and I'm feeling right Just might hit it again again. Open your eyes, don't you be surprised When we start to win Oh
3: When we start to
6: win When we start to win Oh Sometimes I want to feel like I'm the one in control Another
3: illusion
6: And take back every element of me that they stole
3: It's so hard
6: A be fight when I, when I heal my, my mind, mind, body, and soul Until then Take your time take and make sure that do it right We'll be making moves Making moves while knowing God is on our Cadillac lean from side to side when I'm hanging with my friends. Just to be alive is a reason to ride, 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 especially with my kids. Hit a little something and I'm feeling right, just might hit it again. Open your eyes, don't you be surprised when we start to win. In case you didn't know.
7: Young brothers, young brothers are going to work, work it out. I have no doubt. I This song On is a dedication, dedication to the my resurrection mind. of a young black man.
6: I know you're grinding, but I want you to keep in mind. Yeah. Take your time and make sure that you do it right. Make sure you're doing right. Knowing God is on our side You gotta know you just got to believe he has. No one can make you want No one can than make you, you want it more than so you I saw the feel the spirit of the phoenix rise. Don't give up the spirit of the phoenix rise.
0: Do I do? You're always on my mind. Uh, that was Martin Luther in Rise. And again, he's a part of the wonderful ensemble of stars that are going to be um, performing at the Oakland Symphony's annual tribute to the Negro Spirituals, Let Us Break Bread. Looking at Soul and Spirit on Sunday, December 16th, 4 p.m. at the Paramount Theater in Oakland. So you don't want to miss that. And we are so excited to have uh, Mr. Nathan Richardson in the studio. He is, if you want to know what Frederick Douglass looks like and sounds like, this is the man. And hopefully you were able to catch him when he was in the Bay Area earlier um, this year. Uh, he was in Oakland Um at the um what's the name of the bookstore you were at in Oakland, um Mr. Richardson? Uh, the Pro
5: Arts uh, Theater. The Pro Arts Pearl Theater. Art.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. And then you were also here you were um sort of a part of the um Irish American uh Crossroads uh, art. what is it? Uh, uh the Irish American is it Crossroads Festival? Art, um
5: Arts and Writers Festival out in right, Los Angeles. right. Yeah, yeah, that's an yeah. annual event. Uh, in his that's an annual event in his fourth year, uh, mm-hmm. and of course, the association there is that Douglas uh, spent uh, 21 months in England and Ireland. Uh, four months, particularly when he first uh, left the United States, uh, he spent in England and Ireland. He he uh, spoke widely throughout the country uh, and everywhere from Limerick to uh, Belfast. Uh, all, all the cities of Ireland he he gave speeches in
0: Ireland. Right. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you could tell us how you know, this is uh, Frederick Douglass's um bicentennial year. He would he would have been uh two hundred this year, um and uh, I think you you write that he was born um in the second uh like Slavery had been going on for 100 years when he was born and uh, in 1818. And, um, wow, there's a new book out about him. But I was wondering sort of what, what brings you to, you know, the scholarship and embodiment of, of his life because you really look like him <laughs> a whole lot.
5: <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you what, uh, it, it's uh, one of those things where I've always wanted to be uh, be a football player or a basketball player, particularly black basketball but if you're not born with those particular endowments of uh say six foot five <laughs> to seven foot uh then you're not likely to be you know your chances of being a basketball player are slim well mm-hmm. uh in my in in my gift uh is you know my appearance uh as well as my voice uh you know has has made me uh are pretty convincing Frederick Douglass. Uh, I got into uh, this by uh, way of poetry and spoken word I, I was definitely enjoying uh the song that preceded uh, this segment because it uh you know reminds me of the last poets and and uh, all the uh the great uh poetry jazz uh, nouveau music uh that I uh, enjoyed as a teenager uh but i, I I'm a poet uh by birth so to speak uh, and a storyteller and I uh, started uh, doing Frederick Douglass uh, as uh, really I was challenged by a fellow storyteller uh, to do a historical character uh, and I was somewhat reluctant uh, but uh, she kept prodding me to do it. She said it was not a lot of male, uh, black males doing uh, living history. And so uh, I started looking at various characters, Du Bois, uh, Booker T. Washington. When I looked at Frederick Douglass, I, I was looking somewhat at myself. Uh, and so I said, well, let me let me uh, see what he's got to say. Uh, and, of course, I knew about Frederick Douglass, but I had never really sat down and read his words. And uh, once I did, I, find, I realized that uh, he was a, a very poetic and uh, prophetic uh, speaker, writer, orator. And so uh, that, that's what led me to uh, becoming Douglas.
0: <laughs> and you really, really do him justice. And um, I was looking at your website, um, SC Publishing, and uh, you've got some books uh, that you've written, and um, as well as um, you've got a calendar of, of events coming up. Uh, with, and, you know, it's really, uh, and also next year is up as well. Are you coming back uh, to California um, next year?
5: Well, it's certainly a possibility. Uh, I, I come out to the Bay Area uh, maybe once every other year or every every uh, couple of years, uh, mm-hmm. normally based on poetry because I'm a, you know, I, I teach poetry. I coach a youth poetry team called the Hampton Rose Youth Poets. And we mm-hmm. t- participate in the Youth Speaks Brave New Voices International Poetry Slam. So I normally come out that, to the Bay Area about every two or three years uh, to bring my team out for that. Uh, this year was the first year that I came out as Douglas. Uh, mm-hmm. Next year uh, I'll probably be out there either as a poet or as Douglas. Uh, the the uh, Irish uh, Writers and Arts Festival. Uh, they're going to be doing their thing again in in the uh, fall of next year, uh, but I'm actually hoping that they'll invite me on their journey to uh, back to Ireland. So uh, if they if they say let's go to oh, Ireland, oh
0: wow, <laughs> I'm on the plane. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, we were, so next um,
5: year is uh-huh. go ahead.
0: No, no. Go ahead, next year. Go ahead.
5: No, I was going to say that next year. Um, of course, this this year we were was a was a absolutely tremendous year. Uh, in the four years that I have been doing Frederick Douglass, uh, this is the most active, and because, like you said in the in the start of the show, uh, it's uh, the the bicentennial. Frederick Douglass was born in uh, around February 1818, uh, and so 2018 was the bicentennial. And all across the country, there were initiatives celebrating, commemorating his life. And so, uh, I actually did uh, uh, 67 performances of Douglas uh, last this year, all across the country. So uh, next year uh, will be uh, we'll be commemorating. The nation will be commemorating uh, 1619. Uh, which is uh, commemorates 400 years uh, since the first Africans were brought to North America, uh, which they landed in, in Port Comfort in Hampton, Virginia. Port Comfort um, was right on the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay in Virginia and is now known as Fort Monroe, which is a very historic uh, Civil War fort uh, that uh, became, uh, eventually became, uh, uh, Tradoc, which is, was a joint uh, branches training doctrine and command center for the entire military, uh, used to be stationed at Fort Monroe. Uh, so uh, now that uh, fort has been um, has been dismantled, so to speak, or decommissioned. And now Fort Monroe is basically a museum. And uh, it is fitting that uh, a lot of black history, a tremendous amount of black history started, especially slavery, started and ended uh, basically at Fort Monroe, at Port Comfort.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So are you, um, as Douglas, uh, participating in um, any of the... um, uh, events that are um, that are happening to commemorate this yeah, moment, and, and I was just wondering. Oh, super! And then also, I wanted you to talk about sort of what this means. Like, what does it mean to you? Um, you know, uh, Nathan Richardson, right. and then what does it mean right. to Douglas and and Harry Tubman yeah. and our ancestors?
5: Right. Well, what it, what it means for me uh, is that. Um, uh, the area where I where I was born, I was born in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. Uh, to now realize that this, uh, and I always always knew uh, that Virginia uh, was basically the birth of the nation, uh, the birth of slavery, one of the last states to resist. Um, Brown versus the Board of Education, all these things. If you're from Virginia, you, you have to know these things. And if you didn't learn them in school, you have to dig <laughs> and find out what it's all about. So uh, what it means uh, for this to be the 400th, 400th uh, year commemorating the first African Landing is that uh, um, that I can be a part of it. I can be a part of it by sharing uh, with other people around around the country, uh, when you're talking about uh, you know tourism, where you're going to go to visit, uh, you know our history, uh, you can go to uh, to uh, Washington DC to the National uh, African American Museum, which is newly constructed. You can go down south uh, to the new museum that uh, commemorates the lynchings of the South. And Fort Monroe, uh, which, like we said, uh, slavery actually started there. The first 20 slaves brought to North America, landed at Port Comfort in 1619. And then uh, from that, the evolution was that uh, in the Civil War, Fort Monroe was the place where many slaves found refuge uh, as part of the contraband clause. Uh, Lincoln, before he uh, established the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, had a contraband clause where uh, runaway slaves could claim uh, protection under the contraband clause, and many of them came, thousands came to Fort Monroe. And so, all of this is, you know, means a lot to me as a person. Uh, now, as as Frederick Douglass, uh, what it means is that everything he was fighting for in the abolition of slavery. Uh, came to a climax, so to speak, uh, with Abraham Lincoln, the Civil War, Fort Monroe, uh, and, and, and so it's 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 uh, it's very important to him as well. So this year, uh, the National Park Service, which now owns part or runs or manages Fort Monroe, has mm-hmm. a, a, an entire schedule throughout the year of of events that tell uh, our story, the African diaspora, uh, from 1619 all the way to uh, 2019. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going I'm to be a part of that. I'm going to be a part of, Frederick Douglas will be a part of uh, several programs. Uh, one uh, program that's being put on by the Contraband Society. There's actually a society of people who, you know, preserve their history. I'll be a part of that. I'll be a part of a celebration on June 14th, uh, celebrating Juneteenth. Uh, Frederick Douglass will be a part of that as well, along with Harriet Tubman and some of the other characters. So uh, what we are trying to do in Virginia uh, is to kind of turn the table um, to make uh, the entire nation aware that, you know, what we can do is tell our entire history, that we that that Afri- the African diaspora did not start with slavery. It actually, started with kings and queens in Africa. We were mm-hmm. brought here uh, as slaves, and then we we found our emancipation. And now we're in 2019, and we need to be we need to tell that whole story. And we need to be the ones telling the story.
0: Right, right, yeah, yeah. So the idea of of Contraband, I thought, and I'm not an expert, I thought that um, the Jamestown, um, uh, Virginia arrival, I thought the Africans aboard were indentured servants, which meant that they would be free, you know, after they, you know, worked, you know, whatever that agreement was. And um, from what you just said, they were enslaved when they got on the boat. So, where does the idea of indentured servitude come from around that story?
5: Well, uh, for for number one, uh, that Mm -hmm. uh, when Jamestown was settled in around 1607, uh, Mm
3: -hmm. there
5: were uh, Africans, there were people of all races. Uh, Slavery had not become an institution, Uh, and so there were people of all types who were free. There were black men who were free. There were black and white people who were indentured servants. Uh, These 20 uh, Africans were slaves, were were captured as slaves from the beginning. Uh, Mm. The Americans actually um, hijacked or pirated a Spanish ship and took the cargo, including the chattel property of slaves, those 20 people, and brought them to Port Comfort. Now, the reason Port Comfort is significant is because Port Comfort is at the mouth of the bay, and you cannot get to, to Jamestown without coming past Port Comfort. It would have been the normal stop for any ship entering into the tributaries of Virginia. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the, the history that has been told thus far uh, leaves out some important facts. Number one, that those 20 uh, Africans were already captured to be slaves as uh, by the, by the Spanish, they were hijacked by the colonies uh, and when they were brought here, uh, yeah the slavery was not an institution uh, but if you look at the records, most of the uh, people uh, the Anglo-Saxons who were who were also brought alongside them, they were actually in their records when they brought them into Jamestown and they you know, Wrote up their papers. Those whites, those Anglo Saxons, had a date in which they would be free, when their when their servitude, when their uh, when that when they would be free. The blacks mm-hmm. had no such date, and that is because this was the ramping up. The colonists were realizing that there was a lot of work to be done, a lot of labor, a lot of planting, a lot of building. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to do all that work. And so this was the beginnings of slavery and all the laws that were built up around the Constitution to make it seem as though the Constitution uh, was written uh, in approving slavery when it was in fact not.
3: Mm -hmm. Right, wow. So this is
5: what, you know, for most, so many of us have been taught in our school systems is that First Africans landed in Jamestown, la, 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 the la, la mm-hmm. story. Well, when you start getting into the facts, you look into the records, then you start finding out the real facts and how how this uh, evil institution of slavery actually started in America and where it started. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we just can't quite, quite wash it. So it's important uh, that we as African Americans, myself, those women who are doing living history and portraying uh, Phyllis Wheatley and Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth and so forth and so on, that we tell the story from our perspective. Uh, The African fable says, until the lion learns to read and write, history will always glorify the hunter. So, you know, it's it's wonderful uh, that uh, Mr. Blight uh, wrote this national bestseller uh, book. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was actually in New York with him, just recently, just prior to the book being published. Um, and, and it's great uh, that he has spent you know, his time, uh, his doctorate, um, telling that story, uh, telling the story of Frederick Douglass. Uh, but what you find throughout history is this is a continuation uh, of the story of, of black people in the hands of, of other people. Uh, and so we want to at least... Uh, have this story shared where we are actually telling our own story as well.
0: Mhm. Right. Yeah. Um one thing that uh people don't hear about a lot um is um you know uh Frederick Douglass's wife uh who um you know purchased his freedom. Um Right. And yeah, yeah, and um supported him, you know, um you know, she was a businesswoman. She was a free woman sure. of color and um and she you know, she really stood by him and uh and so yeah, and I, I was really um I don't know, I'd like to hear more about her. And so I was wondering sure. in your in your um uh in your stories that you tell as Frederick Douglass, do you ever talk about his wife? Does he talk about
5: his life? I I certainly do, but in keeping true to the character of Frederick Douglass, um, Mm -hmm. he didn't speak about uh, the women um, uh, in his life uh, except in a formal manner. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so in in being in the persona of Frederick Douglass, I have to hold true to that. Once Mm -hmm. I come out of character, which I'm talking as the understudy now, uh, then uh-huh. I can, can go into the superconscience of Frederick Douglass and mm-hmm. talk about the things that he knew but did not talk about. So mm-hmm. um, there's actually a, a pretty good book out about all the women associated with Frederick Douglass and not only uh, uh, Anna, Anna Murray, uh, mm-hmm. who, who was his first wife. He, mar- he was married for 40 years. She sold her bedpost uh, so that he could have a ticket uh, to escape from Baltimore. Uh, so she was responsible for him escaping out of freedom. Uh, and then we have all other, uh, a lot of other uh, women, mostly white, um,
3: mm-hmm.
4: yeah.
5: Julia Griffiths, uh, the Richardsons, all of these were Europeans who actually were the ones who raised the money while he was in Europe and purchased his freedom for $733. They also raised money, $2,500, so that he could start his newspaper. So all along the way, uh, women were involved in supporting Frederick Douglass. Uh, They were enamored by his good looks, uh, by his oratory, by his physical presence, and so they played an important role in his success. Uh, But when you read his narrative, then you're not going to find a lot of that, uh, except in a formal manner uh, from the perspective that uh, he uh he, he supported women's suffrage. Um, from my from my experience that seems to be the way that Frederick Douglass was paying back all the women who supported him by standing beside them in their stand for suffrage because there was not many men who wanted to stand with the women.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah that's a um it's a uh I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't like uh, what happened uh, with regards to. I mean, his black wife, and then the secretary, and then yeah, that was yeah. I don't. I well, don't like uh, the way you he treated her. <laughs> well, if you yeah. don't
5: like what happened, I, I, and this is what I say to my audiences when when I'm talking mm-hmm. to them about this, if you don't like what uh, the, the the role of the women in Freddie Douglas's life you would not also like the role of any woman in any man, man's life in the, in the 19th century. <laughs> I mean, this was the standard of living at that time. And so oh. what we're doing uh, is mm-hmm. putting a 21st century uh, attitude to judge uh, a 19th century mindset. And, and mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, t- time is changing uh, civilization and attitudes and norms all along. Five years ago, uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Hart wouldn't have been rushed out of uh, his role. You know that he, he, one minute he was he was going to be the, the guy with the Oscars, and now he's not, and that's because society is changing. Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking to audiences about um, about Frederick Douglass's wife, um, she was serving the role that women served. At that time, and it is mm-hmm. absolutely uh, essential that uh, Frederick Douglass would not have been able to accomplish the things that he did if she had not been serving that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was much like Coretta Scott King, although um, although uh, Douglass's wife was much, muchly illiterate. She was a smart person. You know, just because a person can't read does not mean that they don't have sense. So she, mm-hmm. had, she was a very smart person, but she couldn't read. Now, if you compare her to, say, uh, Coretta Scott King, Coretta Scott King took the similar role of Frederick Douglass' wife, uh, wife. She uh, basically took all of her talents and all her skills and put them aside for the good, for the common cause of what Martin Luther King was doing. And so how many women would make that kind of sacrifice? So it is a tribute to women uh, that we should not only uh, hold up and lift up uh, Coretta Scott King, but, mm-hmm. uh, but Frederick Douglass' wife and the wives of all the other uh, men who came through that, that period of time.
0: Right, yeah. hmm yeah, thank you for that that context. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I don't think I've ever ever had that. Um, I've been I don't think I've ever gotten that response to to the question before. So it helps. Sure. Uh, because I yeah, because yeah, well, I, I really. I
5: have, have, <laughs> I have women coming in, coming at me uh, as Frederick Douglass, and they and they mm-hmm. actually get somewhat frustrated uh, because. Uh, in being the character of Frederick Douglass, uh, mm-hmm. you know a person has a conscience, a subconscious, and a superconscious. And you're not going to enter the person's superconscious, man or woman, even though they may be aware. Uh, they're not going to uh, let you into their superconscious. And mm-hmm. so, as an actor portraying a character, that's what you have to do. You have to protect. The character super conscious.
3: Mhm. Yeah.
5: Now, as yeah. as now as <laughs> as we the understand it, then we can talk about it freely, and we can try yeah. to make sense of what what they were doing.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's fine. So I was just wondering, um, if um, if Frederick Douglass, um, you know, because he does have a, a. Uh, a person who is the understudy that's alive in this 21st century, um, if if he could think about sort of the whole, the whole the, the 400th anniversary of the first Africans, um, you know, to arrive as enslaved persons, you know, to Fort Comfort, um, and, and this whole thing around just sort of looking at the black presence in the United States and in the West, and and how
3: right.
0: how much we changed this uh changed this this space because we are here yet right. how little the space has changed since we've been here
3: sure
0: i'm talking politically right. i'm talking economically i was just wondering
5: yeah.
0: does does he ever if he could think about it you know and and let you be his voice what would he say
5: well uh this is Frederick Douglass speaking through poet Nathan Richardson. Mm-hmm. This is not a Douglas quote. This is a quote, and it's actually part him and part me. We have made it from the sweet taste of, slavery, of freedom in our slavery. We've made it from the sweet taste of freedom in our slavery to the bitter taste of slavery in our freedom. That's where we are today in the, in in two in 2018, we have the bitter taste of slavery in our freedom. We enjoy many freedoms, but we have allowed uh, what Douglass called the romantic narrative to continue. The romantic narrative of the South is that the South will rise again, and we have not uh, ended that romantic narrative. It is still alive. Uh, it is it is uh, juxtaposed against uh Against the new slogan of the day, the magma hat, "Make America Great Again," it means the same thing. It's synonymous. And so, what we have done, uh, and not just Douglas, but Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, all of them, were trying to get us to look at some particular things that would make us more successful in in our in America, and and put down or. Put or put away slavery uh, and prejudice in America forever. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, uh, over time we have just become more and more trivialized. We're only looking at the surface. We're only looking at the um, the symptoms of the problem, and we have not made any gains uh, in this in the uh, the source of the problem. And I always and this is this is really where where it comes down to where the rubber meets the road because I really meet uh so many uh angry uh citizens uh who say to me, um, uh, why why do why why we even here? Why don't we go back to Africa? Well this is the same question that they had right after the Emancipation Proclamation. Will we go back to Africa? Uh, will we go somewhere else?
3: Mm-hmm. And
5: the answer is We will not go anywhere else. This is our country. We were born here. This is our country just like it is their country. The problem is is that we do not value the constitution of this country. We do not consider it, in in many cases, it to be our constitution. And we certainly Mm -hmm. don't know the constitution well enough to protect ourselves or demand our rights. And and so until we do that, until we uh, not just have a few lawyers, a few judges,
3: mm-hmm.
5: one or two Supreme Court justices, but until we have a have a have a representation in those classes of people, then we cannot uh, we cannot have an end to police brutality uh, because we do not have enough people at the table. Uh, to make a difference because some of those at the table are are not willing to stand up. They're afraid, even though they're at the table, they don't have the backing to stand, to stand up and demand change. And so, uh, you know, there are so many writers who have said this. Uh, color is a construct of society. It's a construct. And it does not matter. Uh, uh, one, of, one of Douglass' quotes is, Uh, it It was not man, it was not God, but man. It was not color, but crime that created slavery. All throughout history, you will find that no matter what color a person is, once they start attaining money, power, and wealth, then they start protecting that money and power and wealth and influence. And so we are part of a society that treasures money and power and influence above all things. So we really have to have people who understand the Constitution, who stand up for the Constitution, uh, and, and, and defend the Constitution that we have the rights that were written in the Constitution.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely,
5: definitely. Really. These are the three Mm -hmm. things that were denied most African Americans.